Hi, I'm Deepak Madnani, entrepreneur, problem solver, and amateur barista. I am on a mission to help forward-thinking entrepreneurs succeed and grow by understanding two simple rules. Crisis is a clarity opportunity, and the question is never really the question. Today, I am putting my barista skills to the test and sharing a cup of coffee with resilient problem solvers from all over the world. Let's get started. So excited for us to finally got to <laughs> uh, do this. Woo-hoo. Make this happen. Um, yeah. Being and in congratulations. Hey, Thank yeah, you. I know. <laughs> yeah. Besides being in the same city, I know you are running around as we all are. And we don't have as many assistants as we'd like to have. <laughs> We're still dreaming of that. Can you believe it? You know, we yes. get by. Uh, but you have a beautiful background uh, with the purpose business and the Hong Kong skyline. Stunning. Floating around the skyline. Yes. There you go. And I was just commenting and Pat and I were talking about how COVID is a time where it's either you have no excuse or you've made every excuse in the world not to stay healthy and fit, right? Can't hide from that anymore, you guys. And- Whether it's just taking the stairs from the ground floor up or, you know, the CrossFit that you've always wanted to try. No excuses. And, and Pat, you have a secret love exercise, right? I mean, not a love exercise, but exercise that you love to do, right? What's that secret <laughs> exercise that you love to do? Well, I don't know if it's secret, but it's a nice balance. So the sec- or maybe the secret to it is I used to teach Ashtanga oh. for a good, what, six, seven years. And then we had, well, life happened, career happened. Okay. And frankly, the move from Manila to Hong Kong, so I was teaching in Manila whilst doing a day job being head of sustainability for Ayala Land. And then when I moved to Hong Kong, I just, I don't know if I should say this, but I just got put off by the commercialism that surrounded yoga. So I couldn't deal with the pure yoga-ness and the Lululemon-ness of everything. Mm. And then, you know, work took over. So I stopped and literally I picked it up because I got ill, nothing serious, towards maybe the height of the protest. Just December 2019 or thereabouts. And I rolled out the very same mat that I've, I've long had. And I just tried. I got back into it. Of course, your over 40 body is not the same as your under 20s and your 20 year old, whatever, right? Trikonasana and everything is so hard. But that has saved me because little did we know that COVID was going to happen. So I got stuck in Manila in Q1 last year. And I reconnected with the yoga community. I think the first the first day that I knew I couldn't fly back to Hong Kong, the first thing I did was to buy a 30-day kind of pass in one of my former yoga centers. And to this day, I am attending online classes. Which, which center was that? No, no, it's in Manila. It's my series of teachers in Manila. But because they've been out of the studio and, you know, kind of kept their careers alive online, I've decided that I was going to support them, however that was and so I'm still on their classes because nothing has opened up in the Philippines and it's a great way to kind of make sure that they have a livelihood that I didn't spend too much on yoga you know not exorbitant amounts of money for a 75 minute class looking well looking well that's good so I have Pat Dwyer here Pat what are we drinking today so I went straight full-on barista I've got my uh, Americano from uh, a blend 17 from barista jam so if you're ever out in Shengwan we've we, I've got yeah. a Check out my my favorite coffee shop there. But oh, uh, we love Barista Jam. Oh, you enjoyed isn't that it one amazing? Too. Good, good. Isn't it amazing? The flux of coffee shops, but you know, good old Barista Jam is still our trusted go-to. 
Yes. Okay, great. And, and, and you are having... I am going to hydrate and balance your coffee with my uh, over-iced sparkling water because it is, it is 34 degrees outside. Yes. No, it is, it is warm. So Pat comes from the sustainability space, 20 years, and Pat's going to fit the mold of the unconventional entrepreneur who, who I have as guests time to time here. And although Pat knows she's an entrepreneur, so some of the guests are in entrepreneurial denial, uh, which is funny. So she's been, her, her business is called The Purpose Business, and um, it helps businesses thrive through responsible growth. So her background was she's led teams at the Shangri-La Hotels, which is one of Asia's premier chains out here. They're, they're at the forefront of uh, developing properties and sustainable developments in the different locations that, that they're at. And then um, Ayala Land, who is from the Philippines as well, right? That's a big developer from the Philippines, correct? She's, she's going to go through a little bit at the end about what's keeping her busy now. But she's got a whole bunch of between Asia Society and the Royal Society of Arts, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader, TEDx speak, Speaker. But I think what Pat or what I know Pat brings to the table is a transformational mindset with a heart of sustainability and purpose. Okay. That's what she's bringing. That's her superpower. That's what's her, that's her purpose. And that's what she's bringing uh, uh, to the world. So Pat, over to you. I'm going to kick off by asking you, let's, you know, how, how did you get started in, in all of this, Pat? My goodness, where to begin? Like anything else, Asian women, I will blame my mother and I love her to bits. And I'm an only child. She was uh, a single mom and raised me on her own. And, you know, she basically kind of raised me in a way that made me believe I could do anything. And Pat Dwyer is from the Philippines. Correct. 100% born and raised in Manila, not one of the 7,107 islands in the Philippines. I wish it were. High tide or low tide, actually, the numbers change. But um, yeah, so I grew up in the Philippines. And while some people will say, but you sound Irish sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you sound Jamaican, and sometimes you sound Australian. That's just Filipinos. We adapt very well. So I was born in the Philippines, raised by a single mom who is a headhunter. And I think it's in my blood as well to kind of just connect people and, and you know, look at people's strengths and find ways for them to, to shine on their own. But my mom made sure that I knew that there was a seat at the table for myself because she made sure I always did. And I remember her saying that if there wasn't, then you bring the chair because you bring the chair and there will always be space. And if you're told there's none you find it. Mm. And I guess that's that's it. That kind of sets the tone in terms of how I've fought for and go through all the things we're talking about, lack of diversity, lack of inclusion, you know, discrimination, which I experience to this day on a daily basis, even mm. whilst you're running your own business and some very funny anecdotes there. But yeah, how did I get into sustainability? I guess it's really interesting because It's only recently when I made the shift from corporate to running my own. And here I will say, I never used to call myself an entrepreneur, but I think, you know, the purpose business is now six years old and I cannot go around keeping on saying I'm not an entrepreneur because obviously, I think you told me that in one of the sessions of yours that I attended at the paperclip, right? So, you know, you're solving a problem. There is a problem you found and you're solving a problem and therefore you're an entrepreneur, whether you're making millions or not, is a second question, a different question. Mm. So 
she is the source of the sort of problem solving and the can do attitude. But having gone from corporate to setting up my own, it wasn't something I really thought I would do. Like, I, I guess I'm not, I may be an entrepreneur, but I was never thinking that I was entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. i.e. the commercial side of it, wanting to set up your own. I always have worked in big organizations. I thought I always will. But seven years in Shangri-La, I would say the MBA I never had, mm-hmm. embedding sustainability in a business. and you know, making the business case for it, finding the the bureaucracy, but also, you know, that sector was heavily traditional in, in many ways, whether that's culturally traditional. When you say or, that sector, what sector are we Sorry, talking? the hospitality sector. The hospitality example, sector, cool. yeah. Right? I mean, that's very different now, but, you know, general managers are all male and European, especially in Asia, what do you mean you have a female GM? How are we mm. going to stay secure in a Manila or a Jakarta hotel? You know, you can't do that. Or mm. in India, how can you have a female GM, right? Mm. And so to transform things from there to banning shark's fin when it's owned by a Malaysian Chinese family conglomerate, you know, yeah. it's just unthinkable to do yeah. that between 2000 and nine 2008 until 2015 the period that i was there so it was very transformative but to go from there to setting up your own it really wasn't part of the plan Mm. and i was i have mentors and i have friends and i have you know people in the business in the sustainability business the ngo business the development business who all said look this is going to be bigger and bigger in Asia. It's nowhere near the maturity that Europe or the West have. But today it's called CSR, today having been 2015. But very soon, it will be about risk management. It will be about where business is just you know not the usual. And 2021, looking back, we know that that's kind of where we are. So that's how it got started. Um, and that's why I set up the business then. Making making that shift from corporate life into your own business life, what were some of the hard adjustments and what were some of the kind of softer adjustments that you kind of realized a bit later? Hard adjustment. Again, I've never been, I think the only thing I tried to sell were brownies when you're a kid and maybe <laughs> some Chinese jackstones, you know, when you kind of put rice in a bean bag and you sew it and then you sell it. That's it. I, I have never sold anything else in my life. When I kind of, when people said you should set something up, I said, no, you set something up. I'll go join you. And mm. as life has it, you know, you, you're throwing lemons and so rock and roll with whatever you can make out of it. Right. And so mm. blessed to be in Hong Kong to have made that an easier ride. If we were trying to set up a business in the Philippines, it would be something else. Right. Okay. So what are some of the harder adjustments is really going at it on your own. Yeah. You know, not not the steady salary, not the support that you have internally. You take things for granted, whether that's office supplies or insurance or a cushy salary, all that. And I think, you know, my husband used to head uh, corporate corporate comms for CNN Asia Pack, and we and he left his job the year prior to me. So we both had a plan of, all right, you get one more year. You're older. You're there longer. I'll stay one year and you know, hopefully not get kicked out of our flat. And then let's figure this out. It's literally pursue your dreams. So hard transformation is context all the way to, you know, working from home even. And this is one of the things that the purpose business got right from day one. So the people experts in various issues of ESG um, who are in my team 
all said to me from day one, we're not going to be employed. We're not going to be a McKinsey. We're not wanting the corner office with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of consultants. We just want to do the job. We want to be able to advise companies and work with them on building programs around environmental mitigation or social issues. But we like the flexibility. So freelance, but without the admin drama. And so from day one, I think our Zoom account is probably about four years old now. So we have been like this since day one. And I remember clients saying, what do you mean you don't have an office? So that's a hard adjustment. Even coming out and saying we've, I guess it's only recently that somebody said to me, you disrupted sustainability consulting. While it's new, you did because it's a network model. No one is full-time. And I remember procurement departments of clients we have today who have asked us of their RFP process because we don't have 10 employees. Mm. How could you front a team when you don't have employees? And so we'll never be able to work with you. Fast forward 2021, that has changed. Mm. And so that's a hard adjustment. And then again, for the teams to come in, you know, for people to come through our system, there always is the what? So you really don't have a co-working space. Like literally Mm. you carve out a corner in your office, right? All the way to making a name for yourself. So it's all that in the business side kind of building a business, which I'm sure all your listeners know very well or are you know, wanting to hear more about. But the side path that is harder is we're also selling the understanding of sustainability. So between 2015 and 2021, you know, when we opened our doors and called ourselves a purpose business, I get CEOs saying, what do you mean I have a purpose other than profit? Profit is my purpose. What are you talking about? Mm. And so, you know, we didn't have Larry Fink championing purpose then. We don't have Davos talking about purpose then. There's no Simon Sinek then. So, yeah, it's it would have been better off running a barista jam franchise Mm. because, you know, it's just such a hard sell. So these are the hard adjustments where you're selling the concept of the business and then you're hoping that there's money for it. And that if they had money, they're not going to call the big four or any other boutique consultancy and that they would call us. So we really set ourselves up for something there. The soft adjustment, I guess, is changing people's minds and mindsets, you know, whether it's corporates or it's organizations, NGOs that we work with. But at the end of the day, these are personal habits, right? So when you look at single use plastics, that's a personal habit. And Mm. then you magnify that into, Coca-Cola's issue or Vitasoy's issue in yeah. Hong Kong, then of course it is a business issue, but the day-to-day change has to come from your consumers, has to come from yes. the businesses that you work with. And so, yeah, those are the adjustments, I guess, that I can think of right now. Wow. If I can just play back some of this, you know, Pat, I think I think one thing, and I'm not sure if you if you're aware of it, but the people that you've brought on board to work with you from two aspects, from the quality of the people and your working model, this topic of people, by the way, throughout all of my podcasts, I mean, that's just a common theme with respect to entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurs have to realize and understand. Of course, we know that we need a team, you know, so I, I don't think too many will struggle to understand that we need good people. And I think understanding what that word means, number one, and then what good people means with respect to how you operate as well is what's really important here. It sounds like you've had, I'm not saying no one's ever never struggled. 
but it sounds like that that it's it sounds like the people side hasn't been the challenge the big challenge for you uh, it's not the biggest i'm very it's not the fortunate biggest challenge, right and i think it's because from day one, I was absolutely clear that I'm a generalist in sustainability. Someone is an expert in water, in ethics, in green building. So I surrounded myself with people who are far more knowledgeable than I am, than I will ever be. But I can set them up and bring them into conversations with clients and things like that. It was easy to attract that because they were looking for that space. Mm-hmm. However, however, you know, like. I don't know if it's easy to attract that, but I had, let's just say I had like-minded people who are willing to work that way. Okay. So that's, so that's another thing entrepreneurs will tend to miss sometimes is, you know, is where their superpowers are, you know, Pat, because I know you, I can say this, right? So, so Pat and I also did this Harvard global political leadership program about three years ago now. God, three years, three Three years ago. And it was, yes. Yeah. And it was three weeks, right? It was literally like three weeks. We were, we were, uh, there was like what? 40 or 50 of us, right? So, I mean, so so Pat and I, a whole bunch of other people, we actually really know each other, okay? And Pat, my, my observation again is, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, whether they know it or not, they are natural leaders. It's something that, yes, you had to start your own business, but no, it wasn't something you would never do, okay? Can I say that? Can I make that statement? Okay. Yes, you had to start your own business, but no, it's not something you would never do. Oh, I'm never doing that. No, you did it. Six years later, you've done it, okay? So there's no, there's no argument there. You've yeah. done it. There's no discussion there, okay? There, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneur coaches who talk about how uh, entrepreneurs are technically unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. think we make ourselves unemployable okay. after we made that shift. Well, well, once you've made the shift, the freedom kicks in, number one, okay? And the freedom to, to and, and I'm going to use this word impact, the freedom to impact. And I know you are in the impact business, but let me um, also now clarify a little more. I think... I think what helps your story a little bit is you are so clear on your impact. If this was just a for-profit venture, I would bet that the quality of the people that you have easily brought on board now, it would have probably been three or four times harder. Okay. I would, I would say that because, you know, people are looking for profit and there's nothing wrong with for-profit. And when, and this isn't a discussion about, is there anything wrong with for-profit? No, I'm talking about my point being is the fact that you are in a purpose business by default, that's been defined. Mm-hmm. And that itself will attract people who are looking to impact. And you have set up a platform for them where they can play their game, okay, with you with you as a leader, but they can play that game. And it's, I mean, it's just like me, right, with, with, with my business. I'm, I'm in the supply chain business. I don't know how to run a factory. I went to, I was a science high school graduate, maths and all that fun stuff. I went to the School of Foreign Service graduate. I, Left after the first year because I don't know what I was doing in foreign service and then finished my business school in two years at Georgetown University and confused and just jumped into the entrepreneurial life because my family did it. I don't know how to run supply chains, but we love to solve problems. In fact, I'm going through an exercise personally where I'm trying to deconstruct a lot of my past to understand where I've succeeded, why I've succeeded, and why I've done things that haven't succeeded. So just coming to you, just listening to you again. So people-wise, because there's that purpose built in, that's a huge asset for you. I, just, I, I don't know if you know that. I just want to shine a light there. That's, that's a huge asset for you because I've heard you talk about the quality of the people you've, you've got on board. Amazing, right? I'm so blessed. I'm so I, humble. Right? And, and own that. And own that. I mean, it's something that you've created. 
you know, number one. But I want to talk about your operating model a little, a little bit too. Can I, I just that- add, sorry, Please, just before you jump into that. No, just on the people side, to this day, and thank you for shining a light on it, but also asking me to own it because sometimes I still pinch myself. You know, you wonder how, how like, is this Pat's driving the bus and I'm going to get on it? Yeah. And it's still, it's still huge to me today that they've stuck well with it. You know, even people who are moving on and leaving Hong Kong, you know, mm. so this is, this is a reality we deal with. The sure. number one use is not that they're leaving Hong Kong. The number one ask of me is, can I stay with a purpose yeah. business, yeah. but I'm going to be moving and, you yeah. know, we are set up this way anyway. So I'm very, very grateful for that. But it also attracts people of a certain age time in their lives you know so when you look at the younger generation they all are intrigued by the operating model which we're going to get to sure but also they have different realities right so you know the the looseness the self-discipline that working from home and being self-starting entails is not for everyone sometimes structure is exactly what you need and i Mm. i have told some people in the team that you probably need to go away and maybe come back again and find that because we can't work with companies holding their hands if you yourself are not comfortable within your own setup, right? So mm-hmm. it's a struggle. It's been a really interesting process. Yeah. So, so Pat, I didn't warn you before, but I put on the coaching hat during the call sometimes, which is why I'll, I'll shine light uh, on certain this, areas. Okay. This is exactly why I said yes to this. I'm so glad we're <laughs> doing this. So no, thank that's you. Awesome. So, you know, for, for, for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, Coming to terms with what their superpowers are, especially in terms of leadership. I, I wrote down uh, three things for me. Uh, naturally a leader. I love to have fun. And, you know, and this is me going back. Like I had to go back earlier, right? So this is a high school time. Even I love being in teams. So it's not just leader, but I love being in teams as well. So it's not like a leader. I tell people, what, you know, I love also being in teams. You know, I love to have great people around me, you know? And I realized that uh, some way, sometime during my entrepreneurial journey, you know, you go through all these crucible moments, you know, those are the words that we'll call them, right? And I know I've shared mine with you and, you know, we, we know a lot of what's going on. I, I think during that journey, I fell into survival mode. And once you're in survival mode, you're not in thrive mode. And so you kind of downplay where your strengths are. And coming back to realizing where your strengths are and how you play your game, coming back to that reawakening is when you start to really have more fun. I want to come back to this operating model for you. So listen, another thing about you that I'm observing is that, is that innovating isn't, it comes naturally. You, you adapt easily. Then the fact that you have the courage to apply that to a business that you don't even know about, that's what makes Ballsy, you an entrepreneur. Hey? Let's just say that. Imagine all those people that you're working with. I'm not saying you're better than them, but I'm saying that they think differently, right? So that's the difference between the entrepreneur leader. They are comfortable working within a system. So, you know, this is, you know, give me my, my racetrack, which is also okay, but you, but you've offered that, that, that operating model for them to play in so they can work, right? Yeah, absolutely right. So own that as well, because um, where you're heading and where the world's heading, I'm sure COVID's impacted you, but with respect to running your business, yeah, Zoom's on, let's go. Yeah, yeah. We actually had clients come to us saying, so you guys have been set up like this, you know, do you trust Zoom? (laughs) Yeah, we've been on it for how many years? And you've been on it because you're a client. And, you know, for at the height of Zoom and whatever, March last year, when everyone was going crazy with this, the random advice that we were being asked for, is it secure? How long have you been on it? You know, you seem to trust it and we trust you. And therefore, 
what you say is gold and you know we don't write the the liabilities for it but yeah you you've kind of carved out a way having said that covid now kind of brought everyone up to the same mm. kind of platform right so are we an innovation company are we continuously disrupting sustainability and if so how and these are the things that we are sort of answering right now i mean if you if you look at if you look at two areas right one is your people model and then one is how how you impact right hmm. but if we just look at your people model you know for a lot of people that learning curve will will take one two years okay yeah absolutely so, so just double down on that because that's just something that you do already quite well and it sounded like again you were saying you don't like to manage people but there are people who need managing how how are you looking at trying to solve that there's two things right so managing people per se in running a business that doesn't attract me however I've always made this part of the way the purpose business is set up because we came in at a time when sustainability was new. We all know that this is a teaching platform, you know. So when the younger ones come in and zero sustainability background but wanting to make a shift, we have someone who came from heavy design and comms making the shift. Someone was a data analyst somewhere wanting to learn ESG. We're also formative, you know. We're we're investing in their kind of journey into sustainability. And I like managing that. In fact, I was told by someone who who was helping me out a while back now in the business, you know, why don't you just get a bunch of experts and amplify what you do? Because if you have a bunch of experts and they know how to do this and you can keep running, you can keep growing the business, you're actually pulled back by the fact that you have novices that you're trying to carry with you. And then every single senior in my team knows that they have sunk hours because they have to teach. But that is exactly part of our impact. You know, the client impact is one thing to get the next generation of sustainability leaders, you know, so that the day comes that they say, Pat, good ride. I'm now ready for my next challenge. Well, I hope that we developed you and that you bring what it was that you learned from the inside, right? So you're, I appreciate the, the, the nuance of the freedom to impact because I'm really struggling with the idea of, you know, a couple of questions the other day on, would you ever go back in house or here's an opportunity and you can already see the matrix, the environment that it was going to be looking like, and I'm running the other way. I'm like, no, you know, even if it means not growing as fast as you'd like to, I just, I'm not going to give up the freedom. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that, you know, but it doesn't really take much. That was part one of my interview with Pat Dwyer, founder and director of The Purpose Business. You can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of Deepak Has Coffee, where Pat returns to discuss how your own purpose is infused into your company values and how your team must be in alignment in order to be successful. During this conversation, we explore how to keep your team motivated, how to create and enforce boundaries, and the top indicators your team is in alignment with your vision. You can learn more about Pat via her website or on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Did you have any moments of clarity? I would love for you to rate and review this episode. Your feedback is crucial to tailoring this content for your growth needs. If you would like to hear more, please be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and or message me on DM at DeepakSCoffee.com.